Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I remember uh, when I when I got married early, very early on in in, in my my marriage. I this sort of hit me, which was we say that uh, when we talk about Shabbos, uh, Shabbos is everybody should know just just on the most basic level. Shabbos is is a separate creation in time and space. Um, we made the point, but it's just important that everyone's cognizant of it, is that when Hashem created the world, He created the first six days of creation out of the same fabric of time and space. But when He created Shabbos, the Sabbath day, he, that, that is a separate dimension of time and space. So when you actually enter into Shabbos, you're, you're entering into a different zone. As much as there's this illusion of continuity, that you're in the same place, you're not in the same place. You're in a, you're in a completely different place. So, so Shabbos has <clears throat> different ways that it's referred to as, and and one of the ways that it's referred to as is as the Shabbos bride. So um, the, the 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 woman, the female, is is sort of likened unto Shabbos. So I remember thinking that wow, when I got married, that it's sort of like, you know, as much as it's now it's Shabbos, and my wife is sort of the Shabbos bride. In other words, there's there's sort of this this sense that there are, um, uh, in in this world, points of correlation to 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 more esoteric things. Like, for instance, there's a region in heaven called Israel. There's a neighborhood in heaven called Israel. You know, so there's there, there's and yeah, and you have the Jewish people as well. So you have these you have these 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 certain things. Um, sometimes the, there are reverse correlations. So, for instance, God doesn't have a body. He doesn't have any physicality. Um, as I used to tell my kids, God doesn't have a body. He makes bodies, right? So he's beyond, 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 beyond. And yet, if you look in the Torah, you have references to the hand of God, the eye of God. So what's that about? So there are certain regions in heaven that are called the eye of God, <laughs> the hand of God, which, which are... Which are uh, which are ideas basically that that we won't be able to grasp what what the watchfulness of God is or the or the the um, the activeness the active participa- participation of God in this world would be the hand of God for instance so we wouldn't be able to wrap our minds around these heavenly concepts unless they were sort of reverse engineered and sort of they were we were given a a um, correlation point in this world like our eyes or our hands then we can understand what's going upstairs, right? But sometimes it works the other way, where we've got the bride, and then we understand, you know, that, that there's this communion going on between heaven and earth, which is what happens on Shabbos. It's a marriage between heaven and earth. Um, so, so the reason why I want to just mention that is as a way of introducing this whole concept, um, which is not just a kind of a storyline, if you will, within, within the, the, the five books and the, the Torah itself. But it's, it's referencing something larger. It's, represent, it's referencing a, a, a heavenly and earthly dynamic, which is, part of, um, which is built into reality. And this finds its expression in the Torah in terms of the relationship between Yaakov and Esav, between Jacob and, and Esau, who are twin brothers. They're, they're both conceived in the same womb. And yet, um, they're, they're, uh, in some 
on some level in opposition to each other. One representing more the sort of the, 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 the spiritual reality of the world, and the other sort of representing kind of the, the physicality or the materiality of the world. And ideally, in a perfect situation, these things are in, um, in harmony with each other. But, but the reality is, is that there is an inherent friction between the two of them. See, because there are all sorts of correlations in terms of your own soul and your own body. Ideally, your body and your soul are, are created really to be best friends, right? But it rarely happens. <laughs> or, or as a person refines themselves more and more, that dynamic of best friendship between body and soul happens. But oftentimes, the soul wants one thing and the body wants another thing, and there's, there's, a, there's a battle between them. That's more the everyday reality for, for, for most of us, right? But, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, why are they supposed to be fr best friends? How, how does that work? Because the, the, the body without the soul is just a lump of earth, right? The, the soul without the body is something that can't transact its will into this world because it doesn't have the means to which to enact something in this world. So for instance, the, the soul could see a, an impoverished person and want to give charity to the impoverished person, but without a body, the soul can't give charity to the man. So it needs, it needs a hand, a physical hand, in order to do it. That's why um, the Vilna Gon, you know, one of our, our, our the greatest of our, our greatest uh, uh, sages, they, they, they report that on his deathbed, he was just looking at his tzitzis, um, you know, his, his talus, and, and was, was, was crying, and, and was saying that, that basically for, for pennies, you can buy this mitzvah in this world, and in the next world, I'm not going to be able to have any access to this. You know, so so it's um, that's that's the greatness of the body, and that's the greatness of the partnership between the body and the soul when it's when it's working when it's working. So one of the things that that we have to understand is, and Rav Yitzchak Isaac Chaver brings out this point, is that just like Jacob Yaakov has this supernatural quality to him, the Jewish people have a supernatural quality that's 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 built into us. Remember, we're we're the children of we're the children of Abraham and we're the children of Yitzchak, right? Um, and remember, Abraham can't can't Abraham and Sarah Sarah is ninety years old when she has a baby. Who has a baby when they're ninety years old? It's it's nuts, right? Abraham is one hundred years old when he when he, when ninety nine when he fathers the baby one hundred when the baby is born. The, the, the baby is a total miracle baby. In other words, the first Jewish baby born, because Avraham and Sarah were already alive when they arrived at the concept of the oneness of God. So they weren't born Jews. But the first born Jew is born completely by miraculous circumstances. Then Yaakov, then, then Yitzchak and, and Rivka, right? They, they, they themselves can't have children. 
and they they pray, and and it's a whole amazing story how how they have Yaakov and Esav. So so the next generation is also miraculous. But here's the point that Rav Yitzhak Isaacover brings out: Don't just think that Yaakov, who then becomes the Jewish line, Esav then goes off and becomes his own line of nations. Don't think that just Yaakov is the miraculous one. Esav is also miraculous. Because remember, they're both conceived, they both exist in the same womb, and there's this interrelationship between them. Meaning to say that, that um, you know, it's a worthy adversary. It's not just Yaakov has this supernatural quality to him and he's fighting his dumb brother, <laughs> right? His brother also has this supernatural quality. And there's this, as, as, there's this correlation that we're told that as one goes up, the other goes down. And as the other goes up, the other goes down. So it's sort of a, what they call a zero-sum game between the two of them. Right? And that again, these are heavenly correlations. It's not just talking about two people, it's also talking about two people. But these two people are signifying a, a dynamic in the world which is very, very pervasive and affects all of history and all of us in our lives every single day. So, one of the things that um, that I want everyone to appreciate is that all of these things are constantly evolving. And, and what I mean by that, and, and I just, just want to sort of broaden the topic for a moment. We're still on the same topic of ya Yaakov and Esav, but just to understand the, 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 the broader um, point here. You see, when it comes to halacha, which is sort of, you know, not wrongly translated as Jewish law, but it's, it, that, it's, it's a little didactic if you translate it that way. Halacha really means the way. Or if you want to get a little more Eastern about it, the flow. It's sort of like that line of activity which puts you in harmony with yourself and in the universe. In other words, there is a path for human beings. It's not just whatever I'm making up and feels good in the moment. There is a divine path, and that's called halacha. Halacha has the word holech in it, which means to walk. So it's how, how are we walking through life? What is, what is the way? Okay? When you translate it as Jewish law, you just, it's like you've, it's like all of a sudden now there's a hammer in my hand and I just want to hit you over the head with a hammer. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, it just, it, it just, it just takes on all the wrong inferences and, and, and it just gets you thinking down the wrong lines. It just means the way, right? So, so, so with that in mind, we have books like the Shulchan Aruch, which is the book of Halacha. So you would think, okay, so whatever situation I'm in, I'll just look up my situation in the book of Halacha, and it will tell me what to do in that situation. Yes and no. See, this is why every person needs a Rav, needs a teacher, right? Someone who understands Halacha. Because you can have, and, and now we'll get more specific, um, 
two problems in, in the kitchen, right? In terms of, you know, we always want to separate milk and meat, right? But accidents always happen. So, so, so let's say you have the identical accident in two separate kitchens. One in the kitchen of a, um, a well-to-do person, financially speaking. The other in the kitchen of an impoverished person. And both of them had have a plate that got negatively affected by some accident in the kitchen involving some combination of milk and meat, right? Um, the person who is uh, wealthy might be told that you have to throw out the plate. The person who's not wealthy, exact same set of circumstances, might be told that they don't have to throw out the plate. Now, because there, because halacha, again, translated as Jewish law, but not in a great way, really depends on the person and the situation. And there's a, there's certain parameters, there's certain, if you want to call it wiggle room, but I don't mean that in the sense of you're finagling anything like that. Just, there's a certain spectrum, that's a, that's a better word to use. There's a certain spectrum of how to apply each situation, right? So what I'm trying to tell you here, so I just want to just, you should just broaden your mind that it's sort of like, oh, like, like, I, you know, I've mentioned it before, but one of, I, I, I almost think it's, it's almost like slander. You know, I, 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 I so dislike the word orthodox. Orthodox Judaism, I think is, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like a slander. It's almost like a slander because it so misrepresents what this path is because it so suggests that it's, 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 it, there's a narrow-mindedness and a, and a, you know, a, a, a just a, almost like a, a tyranny of the spirit. Anything that has the word orthodox is, is very, na- I, 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 I once heard someone use the word classic Judaism, almost like classic Coke. I, I liked that, you know, I like that certainly more. I think I just prefer Torah, because I think Torah is just actually the word that we're discussing, and, you know, it hasn't been used enough in terms of contemporary society to, to have all these sort of, like, things, um, you know, glommed onto it in terms of connotations and things like that. So, so, you know, just Torah itself is so expansive. It's ridiculously expansive. And, I mean, it's talking about things that are sort of, like, totally cosmic, and totally minute, you know, all at the same time. It's fantastic. Torah is fantastic, you know? Okay. But what I'm trying to tell you here is, you see, is that, is that it depends upon the situation. And someone who, um, you know, they say that it takes a, someone who's a master in Torah, someone who is a Talmud Chacham, to say yes, whereas someone who's not very well learned can just say no. Anyone can say no, (laughs) right? You have to actually really know the material in order to figure out a way to say yes. And and, and someone who actually sets down a path to be like a, a Rav or someone who's like a, you know, a master in Torah, his goal is to try to say yes, not, not to say no, because 
no, 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 no. Anyone can say no. You don't have to go to school to say no. You don't have to know anything to say no. Right? The, the genius is to be able to say yes. But, but that, that, that involves some, some greater knowledge to be able to do that. Okay. But we, let's, let's get back on point. The point is, is that just like the, the halacha itself, the, the, the law itself, is, it has a spectrum to it and evolves according to the situation and according to where that person is in life, right? It's not just what the person's finances are. It's also, where is that person in life? Are they just starting out? Right? Then the halakha might be different from them if they're just starting out than if they're someone who's like very fixed and, and regular in this path already. All right? So, so all these, there are all sorts of X factors. Okay. So now let's go back to Yaakov and Esav. In terms of how reality itself is being defined and shaped, this battle between Esav and Yaakov is ongoing and ever-changing. It's not a fixed battle. It's ongoing and ever-changing depending upon the person's circumstances, depending on where they are in life, right? Depending on all sorts of things. And that's how the world begins to shape and, and become developed. So that it's literally a different world that we're living in every single moment in terms of the obstacles that are going to appear. So, so that's, that's, that is, I think, just worth just, just sitting on that point for a moment. See, because I think the average person wakes up and thinks, well, the sun rises and the sun sets. And Pico is still east to west, and La Brea is still north to south. So, so what's different about the world? It's the exact same world. What are you telling me? And so what, what I'm telling you is that it's a different world, that the world is evolving every single moment. And who cares if Pico goes east to west and La Brea goes north to south. You're looking at the wrong thing if you're trying to understand your life in the world. Those aren't the reference points. The reference points are, what are you trying to accomplish in your life? How hard is it? And are you approaching it the right way? That's, that's, that's what it's about. That's the getting here to there. That's what it is. Am I able to fix my own soul during my lifetime? Is the world itself getting to the next stage that it needs to get to? And you have to understand that this is often a generational thing. You know, God's timeline is much more expansive than, than, than we, we often appreciate. You know, it says in Perkei Avos that there were ten generations between Abraham and Noah. Remember, Noah, Noah is when the flood comes and God just says, all right, you know, we got to start again. <laughs> you know, just bring a big mikvah into the world and we're just going to start again, right? But it says in Perkeavos that God waited 10 generations for this to show you God's patience, right? That's 10 generations. And remember how long people were living back then. 10 generations is a really long time. So we have the inaction of this thing that we call 
Israel, Yisrael, right? This thing takes place over Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and also, of course, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Like, that's this three-generational enactment before it comes into being. So I think it's important to see yourself in the context of who you are and who your parents were and who your children are, right? Things like that. In other words, contextualize yourself in terms of a chain of generations to understand where you're going and who you are and, 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 and it will help you to understand your own life better, right? Because as much as we have to view ourselves as sort of like a world in itself and the be-all and end-all on some level, we have to, you know, remember, there are all sorts of paradigms that we have to be juggling constantly. One paradigm is you got your X number of years, you better get it right. You know what I mean? That's it, you know? But then there's another paradigm, which is that you're also part of this chain. And are you moving the ball down the field in a meaningful way? So, so I always think um, I always think of this example because it, it was so real for me. I went, I was, uh, I was in Israel, and um, they, they 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 issued this report, which was that this was years ago, that these um, terrorists, these terrorists, were going to go onto the beach. They had this rubber dinghy, and it was. Um, it was a day off, it was a holiday in Israel, so it was a big beach day um, in Tel Aviv. And so these terrorists in this dinghy were going to go and, and just, God forbid, it would have been absolutely a, a massacre. Thank God that it was stopped. Um, these terrorists were going to come and just try to kill people, you know. But what happened was the dinghy just moved a few degrees in a different direction. And it ended up on a beach which was in front of a, an Israeli military base. <coughs> and so the whole thing was stopped. So they, so, but, but the reason why that, so you see life and death in the balance there. And the difference was a few degrees. Because if you turn a few degrees, then down the line, you're already maybe who knows how far away than you would have been over here. In other words, you extrapolate the point. And a few degrees after a number of miles can be several miles distance from one point to the next. So that same idea applies in terms of how we live our lives. Right? If we make, if we, like, let me, so, in other words, there's so many domino effects from our actions that we don't realize yet because because the dinghy in a, we being the dinghy <laughs> right <laughs> that that they just moved incrementally they just moved incrementally but we don't understand that that incremental move over a several month or year period will actually bring dramatic changes in our life, in our generations, in our community, in our families. Right? So I'm going to give you what I think is a, like to me, an incredibly poetic example of this. 
right? An amazing example. So, I think many of you are familiar with this idea, which is that Rabbi Akiva, and remember, remember Rabbi Akiva is like the, the, basically the greatest sage of the, of the Talmud. More or less, the greatest sage of the Talmud, if you, can, if you can pick one. I mean, to the point where the Talmud itself records this conversation that, that Moshe Rabbeinu, that Moshe gets the Torah Mount Sinai, sees in the future Rabbi Akiva teaching, and says to God, why didn't you give the Torah to Rabbi Akiva? Why did you give it to me? Right? So this is, this is the greatness of, of Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva didn't start learning Torah until he was 40 years old. Right? And it's said that, that up until then, if he saw a Torah sage, this is while he was a shepherd, and he hadn't begun learning yet. In fact, I think it says he was illiterate. Okay? He would want to go and bite that sage like a donkey. Right? In other words, like, I've never been bitten by a donkey, and I don't want to be, you know, but I imagine that they clamp their jaws down and really bite. I mean, I think that that's why that, that phrase, they crush the bone, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, that's consistent with, you know, the clamping I'm picturing, you know? So it's like, so why, why, why would he want to do that, right? You would think that he would look at a sage and be, oh, you know, I love you so much. I, I, I hope to be great like you one day. But that wasn't it, because there was so much potential in that person. And that potential, because it wasn't realized, and because it was blocked for so many years, would manifest itself as anger. You, you understand? So, so anyway, what was his breakthrough moment? He had a breakthrough moment. What was his breakthrough moment that he was able to unleash his potential? And then he just spent like decades and decades, you know, learning Torah uninterrupted and raised thousands and thousands and thousands of students, right? He saw a rock and it was by the water and water was dripping on the same spot of the rock. And he saw that the, that the dripping of the water actually made a hole through the rock. So this is, that's pretty amazing. And he looked and he, you know, you know it's, it's funny, as I'm, as, as I'm telling you, because we just said Rabbi Kiva and Moshe, right? What was Moshe's breakthrough moment when he sees the burning bush? Right? Isn't that interesting that they both saw something in nature? They both, and, and that just turned them around. That just turned them around. So, so he sees the, he sees the, the hole made through the rock. And he says, if water, which is, the Torah is compared to water. If, if this water can make a hole through this rock, then certainly the Torah, which is compared to water, can penetrate my rock, my heart, which is like a stone. Okay. Now, that's the classic teaching. I'm sure you're all familiar with it. But now listen to this part. This is, this is, this, this I heard. And this makes all the difference. This is the reason why I'm telling you this. And I don't remember the source of this, but, but from someone great, obviously. What he actually, 
with, 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 his, with his actual kind of um, uh, deductive logic was, was that each time the water hit the rock, this is before it made a hole through it, each time the water made, hit the rock, it looked like no effect was being made. And yet, you see that there's a cumulative effect to effort even if you can't see it in the moment. That's the turning of the degrees. That's the turning of the dinghy. You don't see it and you might not see it for years. And then it comes into fruition because you were on that path your entire life. This is big. This is this is big. This is big. Because we live in a world which is like you talk about a tyranny. There's a tyranny of the eyes. Right? What's the tyranny of the eyes? If I can't see it with my own eyes, it can't be real. And I can't take it seriously. Right? And you know something? It's you know, remember, after Adam and Chava ate from the, 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 the tree of knowledge, right? It said their eyes were opened. And that's always like, it was always a confusing language to me. Because usually when you say, ah, you opened my eyes, there's, there's usually such positive associations with that, right? That was a real eye-opener, right? That's how people use that expression. So what does it mean they ate from the tree of knowledge, which we know is a negative thing, right? It brought death into the world. And yet it says that their eyes were open. So Rav Yitzhak Isaacover explains, their eyes were open to materiality. That's, that's, that's what it meant. In other words, their entire reference point shifted so that what became real in their life was just what they could see with their eyes. Now, I want to... I, I want to relate this now to to the to the to the parsha a little bit so it says ve'ele todos yitzchak ben avraham avraham holed es yitzchak so and the translation is and these are the offspring of yitzchak son of avraham avraham begot yitzchak okay so so rashi brings ve'ele todos yitzchak and these are the generations of Yitzchak. And it says, Rashi says it's referring to, at that moment in the, in the verse, to Yaakov and Esav. Which is kind of interesting, if you think about it, because <coughs> the Torah has no reservation discussing Yaakov and Esav. I mean, there's going to be tons and tons and tons of references to both of their names. Lots of chapters about their, their conflict with each other. Right? So if you want to say that, that this, this passage here is referring to, at that moment anyway, to Yaakov and Esav, why not just use the words Yaakov and Esav? But what I think is so interesting is that it's referring to it, but you don't see it yet. Which is what we've been discussing up until now. How something can be born from your activities, but you can't see it yet. Right? It's not evident in the verse unless you understand the commentary. But it's already being referred to because the actions to put it into 
reality, they've already gone down that road. So in other words, we are creating different things. Like, can you imagine like, um, can you imagine like, let's say I had a special camera and I could take a picture of you and then show you your life in five years, right? And now, let's say I took that picture of you at a McDonald's, right? You're holding your cheeseburger, and then here's you in five years. Now let's say I'm going to take a picture of you, and I say to you right before, you know what, let's go to Jeff's Gourmet. You'll get a kosher sausage. <laughs> let's not take it at McDonald's. Let's, and I'm going to take the picture of you right there. And can you imagine, and you compare the two pictures? And it's sort of like, how is it that these two pictures don't match up? Because a small change happened. Something happened. Something happened. And so a reality was created, which is a different reality. Which means that every single day, we are literally, it's like a kaleidoscope of realities of our future is totally spinning and turning as we go through every single day, what our next five years looks like. Do you understand? Based on what we're doing, based on the choices that we're making, there's this kaleidoscope happening, and our future keeps on changing. Now, I want to stay in this passage for a moment, so we're switching topics a little bit. But... But, you know, Torah is one, so everything goes together. But I just want to point out something because, you know, a lot of times I'm not concentrating on, on the pshat level so much. Pshat means the actual, what does the actual verse itself mean on a meat and potatoes level, on a here and now level, as opposed to trying to unpack the deeper levels within it, right? So, but right now, I just want to, do something very shot, very here and now oriented, just because I found it intriguing. Because everybody knows the verse that I just read you is probably the most one of the most redundant um, verses in the entire Torah. It's famously famously redundant. Okay, I'll read it for you again, just in case um, you don't remember. And these are the offspring of Yitzchak, son of Avraham. Avraham begot Yitzchak. Now, if we, if we say that these are the offspring of Yitzchak, son of Avraham, why do you have to say that Avraham begot Yitzchak? What, there, what is the new information there? So, by the way, this is one of those places in the Torah that are like virtuoso pieces, meaning to say, like, there are certain pieces of music that you can see how great the musician is by how they play that piece of music, you know, like Rachmaninov or whatever it is, you know. Things like this, like, wow, how is he going to conquer that piece of music, right? So, so there's certain verses in Torah which are just like invitations to Torah commentators to just do their thing, and you just kind of see their greatness and their creativity, you know, and their mastery just by... So this is one of those virtuoso <laughs> verses. Like, how are you going to reconcile this, this incredible redundancy, you know? And, and there's a whole field of literature just on this verse, you know? So... Anyway, it's a bit of a, I've never heard, this was <laughs> just my, my thing, I, I haven't heard it referred to this way, but it's a bit of a Mobius strip, if you know what a Mobius strip is, you know. But anyway, so, so uh, 
But let's just get super real and just 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 go to the shot. And I, I don't remember where I saw this, but it may even be Rashi, I'm not sure. So why do we have to say Avraham begot Yitzchak at the end of that verse if we already said Isaac is the son of Abraham? Okay. So here's an explanation of why it says Avraham begot Yitzchak. Because Avraham begot Yitzchak, not Avram. So I'll explain that. Avram was Avraham's name before God added the letter He to him, before Avraham was circumcised. Right? After Avraham is circumcised, Avram becomes Avraham. So this particular commentary is explaining that it says Avraham begot Yitzchak, just so that you should know that Yitzchak was born after Avraham was circumcised, and not before he was circumcised when he was Avram. That's a very intriguing, that's very intriguing. That's very, very intriguing. Um, and because it, it helps us to sort of like appreciate, you know, the whole concept of circumcision in Judaism and what, what's, what that is all about. Now remember, when Adam, the first person, was created in the Garden of Eden, he was created circumcised. He didn't need a circumcision. It wasn't relevant at all. After he was exiled from the Garden of Eden, this extra piece of skin grew, and now circumcision became an issue. But remember, we talk about physical points of correlation for spiritual ideas. After we left the Garden of Eden, what happened was the entire creation itself became much more physicalized. Like, nature itself took on this barrier between us and perceiving the oneness and omnipresence of God. So the idea of circumcision was the idea of trying to break down this physical barrier of nature and perception of godliness in the world. Okay? So when you think of Yitzchak now, you understand that Yitzchak is the child of the one who's breaking down the barriers to perception of God's oneness. And now, Yitzchak becomes the first person ever to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, why is that significant in a continuation of this, of this thought? Because everybody knows in Torah, like the Maharal brings most famously, that seven stands for this world. Like there's seven days of the week. There's seven notes to the musical scale. There's lots and lots of sevens, and that's the order of this world. Then you have the number eight, which means beyond, beyond this world. Right? And like what I always thought was so cool was that if you turn the number eight on its side, that's the sign of infinity. Right? So eight represents beyond this world. So Yitzchak is the first person born to someone who's 
circumcised, meaning who's breaking down these barriers of perception between us and God. And now Yitzchak is the one who's circumcised on the eighth day, meaning that he's opening up the world's perception to the infinite. Like it's sort of like becoming institutionalized, this idea now. So, so this is all, this is all like just kind of like levels, levels within this. Um, so you know what? What what I want to do is I want to um, I'm going to wrap it up, and then I just I don't know. I was feeling that today I just if if you guys are interested, just if you have any questions, I just thought that this would be a time that we could devote more to questions. It's in general it doesn't have to be about anything that we discussed. And I'll try to answer them if I if I possibly can, but but just to kind of like recap the the point that I was trying to tell you, just so we're communicating. Th- this world is not fixed, meaning to say that there's a fluidity to our lives and our futures. And and. Um, this is not a small thing, and, and it's a great opportunity for all of us. It's a great opportunity for all of us. And I think that it will change the way you live your life if you understand this. Now, don't get neurotic over it. That, that's always important. Whenever you learn big ideas, there's always a Yetzirah, always the negative side wants to come and twist it around and, and, and try to ruin you with it, you know, basically. So you always have to, whenever you hear a new idea, you have to always know how to integrate it. Otherwise, it just clubs you over the head and can make you miserable. You know what I'm saying? So, so you have to understand, like, what do I do with this idea? So do I say, oh, because I did this, now my future is that. That's, it's not, that's not what I'm talking about. This is not an invitation to neurosis, right? Just everyone should get that. It's, it's to, just to appreciate the fluidity, the fluidity of, of, of this world and our lives, and that the opportunities that we have in front of us. And I really do like this image of the, this kaleidoscope that's turning, right? Because I really think that that's very, very relevant and exciting. And also this idea that not to be so tyrannized by our eyes, that, that we should allow ourselves to think that you know what, I went to the gym three times and I didn't drop 10 pounds, so I don't, you know, all these people, I don't know what's going on with them, right? It's that everything is a process. And even if you don't see it in the moment, it doesn't mean that something very real isn't happening, right? So, um, so, so, let's all do something that we can be proud of and that helps helps ourselves helps the world not necessarily in that order <laughs> and, uh, and and to feel empowered by 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 that effort alone Amen. yeah 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 there's a concept that somebody's positive attributes and negative attributes are always in balance with each other right and I had a hard time explaining that. No, I don't, I don't think that's true, actually. No? No. It says that a person's negative inclination is stronger than their positive inclination. 
and that the only reason why we're able to conquer our negative inclination is because God basically has mercy on us. But the, the default setting is that our negative nature is, is stronger than our positive nature, you know, which is another way of understanding how it is that Esav is born before Yaakov. I mean, it's, it's, it's preeminent. So every single person is, is, is a work in progress, every single person, and remains a work in progress. And this is one of the main reasons why we're so mad at Esav, like um, spiritually speaking, because Esav is born covered with hair. Now hair, normally speaking, is like what they call in like high school textbooks a secondary sex characteristic, meaning to say hair is something that you develop when you're a little bit more adult in life. Body hair, I'm talking about. And it says that Esav was born covered in hair, which is weird. That's, that's weird, right? And so, so, so they called him Esav, which comes from the word asui, which means made, meaning that he was sort of born complete. Now, this is, this is a big point. If a person thinks that they're complete, and he had that consciousness from birth, if a person thinks they're made and complete, they're absolutely on the wrong path. If they think, this is who I am, like, you know, a lot of people who's like, this is your problem, because this is who I am, right? I'm late all the time and disappoint other people constantly. If you're troubled by that, that's your issue. No, it's, no, it could be your issue as well. Why are you constantly disappointing people? <laughs> that might be your issue. <laughs> you know, so this idea, this idea that I'm complete is, is embodied in this notion of Asif, right? I mean, this is why our this world, next world consciousness is so important because it allows a person to reach the age of 80, 90, 100, and realize that they're just on the precipice of being born into eternity. So you're never complete because you're always heading toward the next world. Right? Interesting thing. I, never, I don't know if I've ever heard this, but uh, is there any, is it brought down at all that Rabbi Akiva is sort of a Gilgal of Moshe Rabbeinu? Because there's so many similarities between them. And Moshe Rabbeinu's big, I wouldn't say a dapple, but the, the darkest moment for Moshe Rabbeinu is, is deals with a rock and water, and the, and the the birthing moment of Rabbi Akiva is a rock and water. I never saw that. It's a great great association, yeah, great association. Good job. Um, well, believe it or not, uh, you know one of the you know most fascinating uh, chapters in in the Torah is between you know Pinchas. And you know, Cosby and, and Zimri, right? So remember, um, uh, Zimri is the prince of the tribe of Shimon, and he takes this this Midianite woman, princess, is coming to seduce the Jewish people, basically, and so she's like the daughter of like the king of Moab. I mean, this is or Midian, Midian you know. So it's like you know, she's like royalty, but she's basically on this like suicide mission, basically, to just try to bring down the Jewish people through, um, basically, immorality. And so she, she finds, she, she's coming to seduce Moshe Rabbeinu, believe it or not. And Zimri, the head of the tribe of Shimon, 
like sees her coming and is like, hello, <laughs> you know, and and she says, you know, I'm I'm heading to see Moshe, and he he says, you know, the tribe of Shimon, Shimon precedes uh, Levi. So I'm actually higher up in the hierarchy of the Jewish people than the tribe of Levi since Shimon was born before Levi. And I'm the prince. So why don't you talk to me? So she's like, oh, I guess that makes sense. And so anyway, they then go and, and, and go into the tent and it's, it's like a plague breaks out and it's like all sorts of horribleness and everything like this, right? His intention to convert her. Mm, it was the other way around. Wasn't uh, it? Yeah, I well, think. Both yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's there's a lot of deep stuff going on. But anyway, the man um, was two hundred years old. So even before then, even before then, you had um, Shechem and Dina. Okay, so Dina is like the one known daughter. See, we say that each of the tribes of of Israel had a twin sister that was born with them, okay? But there's only one daughter of Israel that's mentioned and discussed openly, and that's Dina. And Dina, of course, has this, like, traumatic incident with Shechem, okay? And, you know, it's not, it's not pretty. And, 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 and basically, so what I'm, what I'm trying to tell you is, Kabbalistically, this is, this is how it rolls out, that Dina and Shechem are reincarnated as Zimri and Kozvi, who are reincarnated as Rabbi Akiva and 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 the the the, the wife of Turnus Rufus. Right, right, right. So th- that that in itself is is an amazing story. Um, it basically you see that there are these two souls who couldn't get it together, like appropriately. In, in various lifetimes until they actually just like just rocket into this amazing amazing union like generations later you know again this the timeline of God and, and souls is is very exalted you know that's why you know it's like uh, Oscar Wilde said um, life is too important to be taken seriously right so what that means is that if you're overly serious with your life and your expectations, it will actually stop you from achieving what you need to achieve, which you must achieve because life is so important. <laughs> Not don't take life seriously. If you take it too seriously, you won't be able to achieve what you need to achieve because you're going to be too confounded by the disappointments along the way. Do you hear so it, just because we're getting up to the Rabbi Akiva part of this, it wasn't Rabbi Akiva's first wife, it was Rabbi Akiva's second wife. And what's the story with that? That Rabbi Akiva would see um, this very sort of like important Roman kind of like figure. Remember, that was the secular power in the world then, was the Romans, you know, they were serious business. And, um, and he would like try to debate Rabbi Akiva. It's like, good luck, you know what I'm saying? And he would always lose their little kind of like debates, you know. And he would go home and he would be like angry like that rabbi, you know. And his wife said, don't worry, I'll get him. 
and his wife was like totally beautiful. And she went, goes to the marketplace and she exposes herself to him in the marketplace. And Rabbi Akiva spits on the ground, cries, and laughs. And she's like totally struck by his response. She's like, why did you do that? And he says, well, I spit because what you did was totally inappropriate. I cried because as beautiful as you are, you're going to be food for worms. You know, like everyone else, you know, like when you're buried. And I can't tell you why I laughed. No, I'll tell you another time. And he laughed because he realized that he was going to marry her. And they ended up getting married when her husband, after her husband died. And in fact, he, Rabbi Akiva inherited a very large fortune, right, which he was able to use to help keep the yeshivas of the Jewish people running from this Roman potentate. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, so. Um, there's the idea that uh, Hashem only gives us uh, challenges that we can face, right? right? But um, we also know some people uh, in this world take their lives. So how yeah. is that, um, how do we figure that out? If people right. clearly seem like they're overwhelmed and they right. take their own lives, yeah. they couldn't handle yeah. those challenges. Right, right. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's tragic. It's definitely tragic. Um, tragic, you know? There's, there's no two ways around it. Uh, our, God does give us strength to pass a test. It doesn't mean that means that we will pass a test. It means that we have the, the wherewithal to pass a test. But that's not a guarantee that we'll exercise our free choice in, in, a, in a blessed way. Right? So, And they say that Suicide, actually, is the greatest proof that we have free choice. Because how could it be that a person could ever take their own life if they actually didn't really have free choice? So we, we, you know, we, we do have free choice. But, but, but free choice means that there's also, with it, the, the ability to make the wrong choice. And actually, halakhically, suicide is murder. I mean, the person is guilty of murder happens to be themselves, but that doesn't make it any less murder. Yeah, so, um, yeah, if anyone is feeling that way ever, they should definitely, you know, seek professional help and things like that, because it's, 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 it's never as bad as, as it seems, you know. I remember, like, uh, reading a piece about someone very, very prominent, like he was like a big businessman or whatever, a very wealthy, you know, quote unquote successful guy. And he got thrown into jail. And he was in jail for years. And when he got out of jail, he was just thinking like, the world is over. My entire life is over. Everything is over. Right? And then he was like amazed. The world is not over. I'm just, you know, I'm still here. I don't have that job or maybe the trappings of that life anymore. But I'm 100% still here. And, and I always remember just being struck by like... You know, I don't want to go through what he went through, but it seems so logical. You know what I'm saying? You know, so many things that we decide are absolutely the foundations of our life, that if those things are missing, 
we existentially disappear is just not the case. You know? Um, I have a friend who, who has a little boy who, who, who he's sending to a, 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 a very, you know, probably the most, you know, religiously uh, observant school in the, in the city. And uh, he was talking with his grandfather who, you know, has, you know, has, uh, you know, has reference points of things like luxury items and things like that. And he mentioned to his, his son or somehow the, the, the whole concept of a Lamborghini came up, right? And his little boy who's around these, you know, these, these very religious Rebbe said, you know, I think I'd like a black Toyota, <laughs> you know, because that's, that's just what he was seeing around. And that was, that, was, that was normal for him, you know what I mean? So a person can go from, say, you know, like a Lamborghini life to maybe a Honda Civic life, but man, it gets you from here to there. So...